Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Dr. Yasmin Farshad, Practitioner Education Manager for Wise Woman Herbals, and I want to welcome you to this month's webinar through the Wise Woman Herbals Practitioner Learning Community. If you have attended any of our previous events, we are so happy to have you back, and if this is your first time joining us, we extend an extra warm welcome to you. Today's presentation is entitled Botanical Support for Stress-Related Health Conditions by Dr. Glenn Nagel. In the next 60 minutes, Dr. Nagel will share some detailed information with you about stress and anxiety, the various ways they can affect you and why it's so important to address them, herbs that help support a normal healthy stress response, current research on various botanicals and their role in stress management, as well as clinical indications and contraindications of these herbs. Dr. Nagel has been a practicing herbalist, registered through the American Herbalist Guild since 1984, and is also a naturopathic physician. He is deeply passionate about botanical education and believes in teaching with humor while allowing students to learn directly from the plants. He is a former associate professor of the Botanical Medicine Department at National College of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon, a former assistant professor at Bastyr University in Kenmore, Washington, he is currently an adjunct professor at National University of Natural Medicine in Portland and a consultant to the herbalist industry. The first 60 minutes of this webinar have been approved for one CEU through the Oregon Board of Naturopathic Medicine. And please stay tuned at the end of the presentation um, how to request, request your certificate of completion as well as your special promotion just for attending today. And now I'd like to present today Dr. Glenn Nagel. All right, good morning, everybody. Nice to have you here. I'll try to be humorous and educational, and I don't know about how much hands-on we can do, but um, you know, after this uh, webinar, uh, go outside and, and look for some of these plants. So let's talk, um, this, is, this is me, this is my disclaimer, and let's talk about stress because I think the way to think about stress and anxiety and depression, which kind of roll in the same um, ball of conditions that come from stress, I think of it as the great magnifier, that under stress, a minor problem be becomes major. And this is the component of the stress cause illness, just magnify what you have and so I think of it like this yes stress will magnify oops it will bring the problems and make them bigger and so in relation to understanding this is really important and so we're going to specifically talk about anxiety and anxiety is a really huge issue I mean if you do a little research and I've left some resources here National Institute of Mental Health, you know, it's the most common mental illness in the United States, 40 million adults or 18% of the population. It's also becoming a huge issue in children. Now, if you look out at our world, uh, there's many reasons to be anxious. In fact, uh, the inability to feel secure and safe is underlying this, but how does anxiety become the number one mental health issue? And, you know, 40 million Americans having this uh, anxiety in teenagers, anxiety in young women is uh, epidemic proportion. So if you're in clinical practice as a doctor, naturopath, a health coach, you're going to be dealing with anxiety. And so think of this idea about the magnifying effect, because the thing about anxiety is that a little bit leads to more. And anxiety can be hard to ramp down. And so we're going to talk about some supportive me measures to deal with stress and anxiety. And, you know, because this is a leading factor, all the stresses in society, econ economy, work, money, family, po politics, health issues, global warming, you know, violence, all this leads to anxiety. And that's the natural response of a human condition to try to feel safe, and when you're not safe, feeling anxiety. And so um, the more stress, the more likely, depending on how you're wired, that it can lead to anxiety. And in this seminar, um, they often see the term uh, MADD, uh, 
which stands, stands for uh, anxiety and depressive disorders, generalized anxiety and depressive disorders. And so botanical medicine can be a great tool to break this cycle along with other lifestyle and diet and you know a holistic perspective that herbs are one of the piece to help. So here's the herbs we're gonna to talk to. You're gonna have the slides, you're gonna be able to go over these. I'm gonna work through these uh, one at a time, but I'm starting kind of from uh, the, the most important in my mind down to some of the newer things you may not know about uh, research. Uh, if you've been in clinical practice for a while, kava, holy basil, passion flower, leaf, skullcap, leaf and flower, lavender, uh, California poppy, albizia, and valerian. And some of them work for stress. Some of them are specifically for anxiety. Some have, uh, you know, because herbs have the uh, broad effects, they're, they're not as specific. But we're going to start out with kava because I think kava is one of the most specifics for anxiety. And so that's one that has a lot of history, uh, a lot of negativity in the kind of clinical model. Uh, so we, everybody knows about side effects. Our patients come in with reams of printouts about, oh, you know, kava's toxic. And so I want to address this. I also have this slide I'm going to go over at the end that I have put together that kind of puts together the general um, area of the herb and whether it's more of a sleep, the more X's in the box, the more it's indicated. Uh, whether it's more anxiety or it can work with pain or whether it can be a, a nerve supporting nerve tonic effect. So I'll go over this at the very end, but I want to introduce it because if you're going to take anything away from this slide, this is the little clinical handout you can like print up and have available and be like, how to differentiate. That's what I want to try to give you is how to differentiate which herb would be good in what condition. So now uh, let's take a, a trip to the islands. And kava kava is a Polynesian, you know, it's from Hawaii. Uh, uh, the major sources is the islands of Vanuatu in the South Pacific. And I think of it like a day at the beach, because when you're under the influence of kava, it's kind of like sitting there watching the, the waves come in. And you watch one and you watch another, and next thing you know, you're calm, you're meditative, you're relaxed. and so. Kava has a long history as a drink. And so these are some pictures of the Piper Mephisticum. Traditionally, the root, which you see down here, is extracted in water and made into what they called nakamal, which is a water-based extract of kava that was traditionally used in rituals in the community to deal with stresses, to bring the uh, community together. And so it's a native uh, South Pacific remedy that has been now spread across the world. So kava kava is one of those things that we see its ability to help. And I think it's been spread because of its potent sedative and hypnotic effect. Hypnotic means, of course, to help fall asleep. And so relaxes you, takes away stress. Kava has a specific effect on relaxing muscles, so it can be really helpful in analgesia where there's spasms, cramps, um, it's antispasmodic, and key thing here is antidepressive, but more anti-anxiety. And that's what will get us to a slide in the German Commission E monograph talks about its strong anti-anxiety effect. So kava really came on the scene, became very, very popular. Then we ran into this issue with, is it safe? Does it cause liver problems? And I really want to address that because as a clinician or a practitioner, people are going to always ask you about that. And you want to have data to say that the data says that it's very safe. In fact, one of the research studies we're going to see talks about in Germany, they took away the ban because they felt that having kava banned led to other alternatives like prescription medications that were much less safe than herbal medicine kava. So it's on the continuum and it may not be something for everybody. So when we talk about kava, we have to remember that although traditionally they used the water-based extract, the kava lactones, 
these resinous alpha pyrones, which consist of the six, what we call the noble varieties. These are more alcohol soluble. And so almost any extract, liquid extract is gonna be high alcohol. And so if you take a kava extract and drop it in water, you should see the cloud of the resins coming out of solution. That tells you that you have a really good quality. It also has um, a fairly numbing and accurate flavor. You gotta remember, uh, pepper is pepper, and so it's related to black pepper. So it's spicy, warming, and numbing. And so the flavor is difficult for many people to um, tolerate. It's also available in capsules and extracts. Uh, I'll give you some tips for how to take it orally to make it better. But when we look at these um, cavalactones, these are what's considered the noble variety. And the noble variety is these are what's considered to be the most therapeutic and lead to less of the potential uh, harmful side effects. And so when you're using kava, you want to ask your supplier, is it the noble variety and has it been tested for these components? Oftentimes, we'll see a standardized extract containing uh, typically maybe 30% of these. They're, they're found in 5 to 8%, and they're concentrated in 30%. So this is a product that does well with alcohol. This is a product that does well with CO2 extracts because the lipophilic components um, the water extract still can be used, and that's traditional, but typically the water extract um, is going to have less of the kava lactones, but again, if you drink enough of it, you'll, you'll get a therapeutic dose. Um, what we think about kava, and this is still not really clear, but we think it affects neurotransmitters, especially GABA receptors, and GABA, of course, are uh, inhibitory and calming. We also think that it may affect mu muscle contractility directly on the muscles, as well as increasing theta activity, which is the dreaming. And so when you take kava, one of the key things that happens is it's very sudden. In fact, this is the herb that I always think uh, when people are in an office and they're stressed out, is like give them a, a dose of kava and count backwards from 10. And by the time you go down to zero, they will feel calmer. They will feel relaxed. So a key thing with kava is fast acting, but somewhat short acting, meaning an hour or two later, uh, they're calm. Here in Portland, we have a kava bar where they serve the traditional kava drinks in this little coconut shell half. And you, know, you go in and it's a, an alternative to alcohol because it relaxes people, makes them social, but in an hour or two, they're calm, they can drive home, they're not impaired. Um, doing the research for this webinar, uh, I found this 2018 um, review paper, which is really worthwhile to get it, and it's available on PubMed, and it's a free, um, this was done out of the Wayne, uh, Grand Valley in Michigan with uh, researchers, and so this is a, um, a, a research on a clinical studies, and they had a criteria, and they screened over 200 studies on kava, and they came up with 11 studies that were double-blind, placebo-controlled, that were um, tested, some were tested against other anti-anxiety um, medication. And so this is a great summary of the research. They also only looked at research between the year 2000 and 2017. So this is really summarizing the most recent clinical research. And I learned a few new things out of this research. Um, so it's really worth, uh, it's quite detailed, but um, what they're saying is that it's an all around treatment for mild to moderate anxiety symptoms without the issue of liver failure. Um, they looked at 11 studies. And one of the things they found is that it may be clinically more helpful for younger and or female patients. Now that might be that anxiety in, in women is, is maybe higher as a percentage, but some of the studies showed that it worked very well. And so think about this for younger patients and younger women patients. That's a, a key takeaway from this study. Um, it also indicated its role in liver failure. 
And they said in these studies, they saw that it suggests there's no additional issues um, with liver failure that showed up, although they did find headaches as an issue. There were some side effects, uh, mostly digestive and headaches that came up. And they, the studies had various amounts of dosing. We'll talk about dosing, but they were up to about 400 milligrams of kava a day. They suggested it for short-term treatment and not to be used above eight weeks. Now that's probably a generalization in the fact that they're still worried about long-term use of any kava products in relation to its liver rolls and under eight weeks. I think it also understands, and I like this idea that uh, anxiety is a, a, an issue that you just can't medicate away. And so after eight weeks, you need to deal with lifestyle, sleep, digestion to help the underlying cause of the imbalance. And so uh, if you think about clinically in eight weeks, this is a great tool to calm them down. I often think of it like uh, I would have a patient, they'd come home after a stressful day, they pour a glass of wine, they drink a glass of wine, um, the alcohol works very quickly, and then in their mind, they're like, this is my relaxation, and it can be very helpful to stop the stress. The challenges with wine, of course, is are they gonna drink the whole bottle? And kava works in a very similar way. You can take a little dose when you get home or during the day, and it can just instantly kind of take the chill out. Again, I think of it like a day at the beach, you know, like who doesn't like to go to the beach? What do you think about at the beach? You think about relaxing, you know, calming ocean, the sounds, the waves. So this is a great study. I, I think you all should take a detailed look at it. So what about the dosing in kava? Well, traditionally it was uh, the nakamal. One of the things I like to do is if you're using a tincture uh, or the tea, that you add traditionally um, coconut milk. So I have this little recipe for what I call a kava colada, and you can add coconut milk, like a can of coconut milk. Uh, you could just actually put a teaspoon or a tablespoon of coconut milk and then drop your tincture in there. The coconut milk makes it less numbing because the, uh, the fat coats the mouth. It also helps with absorption because uh, there's so much fat in coconut milk and also makes the flavor really good. And if you wanna make a nice little drink, you get the coconut milk and some pineapple juice and the extract of kava, and that's the kava colada, and that's um, very therapeutic. So liquid's very ther therapeutic, usually it's high alcohol. And generally, the recommended dose is 60 to 240 milligrams of kava lactones. Now, some of your products may not say how much that is, but you gotta remember an extract may be between five and 30% kava lactones. And so generally that works to a couple, couple dropperfuls. And I always have the people take the dose and then see how they feel because it works so fast. Don't take any more unless you feel like it's not helping. And so generally every 10 minutes I have them reflect on how they feel. Uh, the general dose is up to 240, not more than 12 weeks. And the standardized products generally around 30%, although they can go up to 70. So this is what it looks like. It's a very bright yellow resinous extract. And these kava gel caps you can find might have 75 milligrams in them. So two to four of them a day would be a um, strong dose. Now, is it sedating taking it during the middle of the day? It's relaxing and it's anti-anxiety. Um, some people that are very type A may find it sedating as what they would call sedating. But there was a study that showed it didn't interfere with driving, meaning the studies found that they did not um, have more accidents driving. So the American Botanical Council is a great um, educational group for the herbal industry. And they created this label, which is on all the kava supplements. And it's kind of a lawyered label prediction, but they say, don't consume more than 240 a day. Ask your healthcare professional if you've had liver problems or use alcohol beverages or taking medications. Again, anything that stresses the liver, you want to be concerned. Also, the warning is if you see issues that relate to 
hepatitis, such as jaundice, fever, dark urine, you know, stop the product, see a doctor, and do not use people uh, for under 18 or pregnant breastfeeding, and not to be used with alcoholic beverages. And so typically, although the tincture is alcoholic, you're not getting very much alcohol, so that's not considered an alcohol beverage. But kind of this thing when I've done mixology and we make kava coladas, you don't want to put rum into the kava colada because you're adding two relaxing, sedating um, components, and that's a little bit of an overkill. So these are the general warnings. Um, here, let's talk about the toxicity. This is a great review out of the Phytotherapy Journal in Germany, 2015. Um, they wanted to look at the, the toxicity. Awa is the native name for um, kava. And what they say, despite the link to kava and liver toxicity demonstrated in vivo and vitro, the history of kava use, it's still relatively rare. Only a fraction of handful of cases could be found with a certainty and link to kava. Many of those are co-ingesting with other medications, meaning they report kava being a problem, but they're also on prescription medications and things like uh, NSAIDs, like Tylenol, they have a great uh, stress to the liver. And when you take these together, what may cause the problem may not be the kava, but the mixture of everything together. They go on to say that um, the incidence of liver issues is one in 60 to 125 million. So extremely safe. Um, this pa the paper also goes on. Um, ooh, hopefully that's still coming through. There you go. Um, that there's an entourage effect in kava, and so we know that kava lactones are really important. The entourage effect really says that all the constituents have an importancy, and that um, kava has um, potentially um, a diverse listing of compounds that can affect GABA receptors, and that the secondary metabolome, um, the analogy here is that cannabis and kava have a similarity in that the entourage effect, cannabinoids and terpenes work together, and kava lactones and flavanones also work together. And so the entourage effect is something, as herbalists, we've all known for a long time, that the whole is more important than the individual parts. And so the entourage is a nice way to describe, it's like who you hang out with that's more important than one shining star. And so the entourage effect says that many times sub-therapeutic doses of compounds in the plant can be magnifiers and stimulate, and we'll see this in California poppy, can stimulate the effects and enhance the effects even though the so-called active ingredient is in a low amount. And so this is the idea that, oh, it may not have 30% kava lactones, but it still may work because of other compounds in the kava. And you go back to the tradition of drinking nakamol, it's water-based, and they still had therapy, therapeutic effects from it. Um, here's another study from 2004. 15 plants on Medica. This is the Germans had banned kava and then they um, stopped banning it. They basically made it legal again. And this describes that whole situation. And that's what happened when Germany banned it. A lot of it, it wasn't banned in the United States, but it, it therapeutically, it was like functionally banned because many of the companies that sold it their product liability insurance went up so high that they, it wasn't uh, financially feasible to sell it. So in this study, the kava ban measure, um, they assumed that inherently, once it was when it was banned, it increased the risks because of all the therapeutic alternatives, meaning people were having no kava but they had to take uh, benzos or other prescription medications. And so um, this is a great study that you can also, so here's what we can summarize out of this Plants and Medica journal. They can say, uh, you know, there's been 450 million daily doses of kava over the last 10 years and the liver damage can be thought of from five potential reasons. Like what are the reasons? Well, one, human genetic variability. We all de detox things in a different way. Uh, when we add 
different medications and kava, we can have a stimulant of increased liver detox. Um, we also have a metabolic tonification theory that our bodies um, have a different ability to tonify. Um, there was a theory that there were solvents used and solvents are, you know, uh, CO2 is a very safe solvent, but other solvents like acetone and things could have residual effects. Um, there was a theory that uh, in their highest demand in the 2000, early 2000s, kava root was um, substituted with kava stem. And there's an alkaloid in kava stem that's shown to be not helpful or potentially liver toxic. And then this adulteration, um, the noble varieties are what we suggest um, you ask for, but there's also a thing called the two-day kava. And the two-day kava has other components in it that have a more, um, they would take it and they would kind of be out of it for two days. They would have some side effects. And so the natives would call that two-day because it seemed to have a two-day um, hangover period. Those are all the theories about it. And so um, the summarize with kava, the Commission E has a monograph, and this is great if you want to look up the Commission E. This was from 1990, but they talk about its effects for nervous anxiety, stress, and restlessness. Those are the key indications. They talk about the motor use, potentially um, anti-anxiety works on the muscles. And so, you know, summarizing kava, it's, it's really the happy herb very quick acting, very powerful for stress and anxiety, where you need to just kind of calm that mental stress, um, very sh um, useful for short acting, mild to mo moderate. Um, the issues with the liver are like likely way overblown, but here's again, if there's a problem with an herb, it's front page news, the drugs, of course, we accept that they have side effects. And so clinicians like yourselves, you just want to make sure that you ask about liver and um, history of liver problems, about co-medications, and then be cautious. Don't have them on high doses for super long period of time. And you I've never run into a problem beyond um, the numbness and the tingling and maybe a headache. But think of it for eight weeks. Think of it as short acting. Think of it as a key anti-anxiety herb to get people relaxed while you look at long-term diet and lifestyle. So kava, it's been shown to be safe and useful, and I don't think any of you should be shying away from it just because of the bad press. And bad press doesn't go away. I mean, uh, this is the kind of thing, if you recommend it to a patient, a client, you need to say, well, the history shows that there were liver issues, but in your case, we're evaluating um, if it's useful and right for you. So just bring it up because they will know about it if you do a liver, uh, a Google search on this. So happy herb. Don't worry, be happy. That's Kava's ma mantra. Dr. Nagel, are you uh, able to answer a question from one of our panelists? Sure. Uh, or attendees, I'm sorry. Um, Laura asks, how long do the benefits last? Okay, now kava, everybody's a little different in how they do it, but generally I see it quick acting, but short acting, meaning in the shortest case, a dose of kava, depending on what you take, uh, could give you a relaxation for an hour. In the longest case, three or four hours. So uh, a key thing with kava would be if you're trying to affect um, somebody all day, you, you would really want to do three times a day dosing, morning, afternoon, and evening. Some people just need an evening dose to relax and get ready for bed. Um, other people can take it throughout the day. So I think of it not as useful um, giving it one time unless you just want a short window. So the answer to that is an hour to four hours. Yeah, great. Uh, next is one of my second favorite herbs, holy basil. I mean, who can't love the holy basil? You know, and the holy basil comes from the Ayurvedic tradition and 
uh, India grows some of the best holy basil. It's a basil. And I think of it like, here's my little line on it. It's like putting yoga and meditation set, session in a bottle. So stress and anxiety. Um, the thing about holy basil is that it's almost um, like kava. Um, it can be useful for stress and anxiety. But unlike kava, it really has no negativity. Like you can give it to kids. It's a, it's a tea. You can take it easily. It's water soluble. It has um, components that are very, very safe. And so think of this in may, maybe a little broader base. I mean, I could have talked about this last month in the adaptogenic talk because it definitely has strong adaptogenic effects. I mean, it is Ocinum sanctum is the original name, although now it's often uh, referred to as teneflorum. Um, typically in the Ayurvedic tradition, there's three species, the tall, the purple, and then um, the green that's situated here. The leaf and flower, it's like a basil. It likes hot weather. It's aromatic. It's an annual in most places, like here in the Northwest, you could plant it like tomatoes late in the season. It likes warm and it's dried. The flower and leaf is dried and it's also extracted into CO2 capsules. Uh, it's a mint, and so it's an aromatic mint, has the square stems, has four little seeds. It does make a lot of seeds. It's very easy to collect your own seeds. In fact, uh, if you buy holy basil as a dry tea, if you shake it out on a, on a, like a paper plate and then kind of uh, work it, you'll find many seeds in there, and you can plant those seeds, and they will be viable, because this plant loves to go to seed very quickly, and so I've grown it. And it will go to seed at like three inches, six inches. You know, it's very hard. You have to like basil, you have to um, clip the flowers off to keep it from going to seed. So if you're going to grow some, and it likes hot. So these are different varieties, the Rama, the Krishna, the, Va, uh, the Vana. And commonly, they might mix those all together because they have similarities um, in their action. And it's a mint. And so mints. There's really no toxic mint. There's just mints that are not tasty, that you don't like. And we're going to talk about skullcap. So the key ingredients with holy basil is eugenol, which is an essential oil, which is clove oil. So like uh, the spicy clove. And if you smell really good holy basil, it has that clove smell. Rosmarinic acid is found in rosemary. It's found in all sage. It's found in so many different mints. It's also a really good source of vitamins and minerals. Any green tea, I'm talking about any green herbal tea, like uh, holy basil tea, nettle tea, they're all really powerful um, sources of potassium. And then ursolic acid, which is also fairly common. That, that's what we consider what I like to think of as a fingerprint. The fingerprint is these are the actives that we want to have in the plant, although the entourage effect says they're secondary and tertiary compounds compounds that are important. These are ones that we would test for in industry and look for in a good product. Although commonly it's not standardized in the industry because organoleptors can tell. It smells good, tastes good. So what can we say about holy basil? I mean, it's kind of a broad-based uh, adaptogen dealing with stress. I think of it as a light adaptogen, meaning um, a lot of the adaptogens are like roots and barks, but this is a light and, and a leafy, flowery upwards. It can have cognitive effects. We'll see it's very helpful for mental performance. It can protect the liver. It's an antioxidant. There's studies on its effect on radiation protection uh, for bowel health, respiratory, anti-inflammatory. It can normalize glucose, anabolic effects, relaxing and calming. It can enhance fertility. It can uh, support circulation and cardiovascular and antiviral. And so uh, here's the effect. It's relaxing and calming, but uplifting. So last month we talked about rhodiola being similar. And so this would be maybe a lighter version. Rhodiola is kind of intense, rooty, astringency. This one's light. And so some people get energetic from it and they get uplifted. And that's kind of the mint energy. Mint energy is upward. Like mints, they run, they, they, they grow quickly, they flower quickly, they want to reproduce. And so um, this can be really good for um, 
depressive effects where there's like a, a, a kind of fundamental like, like a torpor, a lack of energy. Um, oops, there's this study out. This is a study that's fairly recent, but it's an animal study. So you can only take so much from it. But here they're looking again at mixed anxiety and depressive disorder, or what they call MAD. And in the animals, they had ways to determine if the animal was depressed. So if you know any depressed or anxious rats and mice, this is really helpful. But um, some of the studies for humans, uh, there's not a lot of anxiety studies on this, but more of the cognitive effects. But it shows that it's a potential therapeutic effect of mixed anxiety and depressive disorder. So what that says to me is anxiety is ramped up, depression is ramped down. Here's the adaptogenic effect that it lowers the stress, cortisol, hormones, and anxiety, and it can raise the mood. And so uh, many times this mixed anxiety, depressive disorder, people bounce back and forth. And so this is a great one. Is it depression? Is it anxiety? It doesn't matter. Holy basil can be a helpful tool. Um, some of the other studies found it to be helpful against chemical stresses and detox. So I would add to the mix if people have anxiety and you think it's related to toxicity, this would be a great remedy. Also, um, like rhodiola can be very helpful for cognitive. So more and more like it's kind of a remedy for everybody because who's not stressed? Who doesn't need a little more brain power? Who's not exposed to toxins? And then here's some studies to show that it's reduced anxiety and stress in the six week randomized placebo. And so um, sleep, forgetfulness, there's a lot of um, components about helping sexuality. And I think uh, we can talk about adaptogens helping um, when your energy is low and you're not feeling well, sexuality goes away. So very broad-based holy basil. This is a, a source of a lot of the research that I have found at the book on Tulsi, Tulsi, which is the other name, the mother of the mother medicine of nature by Dr. Singh. There's clinical studies in here. Um, he recommends one to three cups or about 300 to 600 milligrams of the capsules or um, one to three dropperfuls of the tincture a day. And so this is one, um, some of the brands out there um, make a dry tea. It's very easy to just drink this as your tonic tea. And sometimes what I like to do is make the tea and then I put the tincture into the tea and it kind of gives me a double dose. Because the thing about the tincture is that there are the um, alcohol-soluble essential oils that are helpful, and they would be more found in an alcoholic extract than the water-based, although some do come through in the water. And I have um, had uh, the holy basil essential oil, and when you smell that, it smells just like pure clove oil. It's very, very potent. So holy basil, very good for broad base, very helpful for youthful, for aged, where you want to be gentle, whereas kava is like a heavy hitter. Kava is a one-two, you know, gloved effect. Holy basil is much gentler. And so uh, if you're working up to therapeutic order, holy basil might be the first to use, and kava would be maybe the last. Uh, passion flower, this is a great herb. It's so beautiful. It's the passiflora. Um, there's different kinds. Uh, Many of you that have gone to the tropics know about lilikoi from Hawaii, which is the juice of passion flower. And this is really sour, super aromatic. The first time I had one, I was like, should you drink this or should you wear it? Um, it's really good for a nervine and antispasmodic. It also has anxiolytic activity. And so what's in it? Well, the leaf of passiflora incarnata, which is the Northeast native, uh, Southeast Appalachian plant. And so we've grown this in the garden here and the beautiful flowers, it never develops really ripe fruit. They're green, um, but it's the vining plant. So it's a really beautiful trailing plant and collecting the leaves and the stems are the part that's used. 
um, it was a South remedy from uh, eclectic medicine and European. It was used in the South for headaches, bruises, and for pain. Um, but we think of it now for its effects because it has alkaloids, um, harmine, harmal, harmaline, passiflorine, um, and one they used to call telepathine. And so there's some belief that it has effects on neurotransmitters. But we've, some of the focus now is more on the flavonoids. It's a rich flavonoid. Flavonoids have antimicrobial, they have anti-inflammatory effects. And so uh, many of these aren't unique to this plant. The taste of it is very mild. There's a slight bitterness from the alkaloids. But this is something that it's not as pleasant as holy basil. Um, past, they were really using it for it's anti-spasmodic, and so uh, the key indications by our eclectic physicians was uh, help sleeping for restlessness and wakeful sleep resulting from exhaustion. So the key picture on this one is somebody's been sick a long time and they can't sleep. Uh, you know, students where they're studying all the time and they lay down and their head is filled with biochemistry, you know, they're exhausted, and so uh, this is more a, a nerve tonifying, so it takes longer to work. So I would think of this anxiety where there's restlessness, restlessness and sleep issues. It's also called MAPOP, spasms and convulsions, severe spasms. And they also used it for whooping cough and asthma. Um, this is actually a good review study. Recently, this was 2017, they looked again, it's not a, a study by itself, but it's a review of the clinical studies over there, a mini review, uh, and they say that anxiety, nervousness, insomnia, and menopausal symptoms. Of course, menopausal systems have, um, can have mood disorders, menopausal symptoms can have depression, anxiety, and so think of this as maybe really specific for somebody that has anxiety and menopausal pain. And so one thing I like to do is when you're using um, the tea or the tincture of this, is I like mixing in um, the passion uh, fruit juice because it's so beautiful. And I love this idea of the leaf and the flower and the juice together. And you can get passion fruit juice uh, as a concentrate and it's incredibly delicious and a small amount really makes the formula sing. So you can do infusions, you can do one to four mils of the tincture. Um, I don't see any standardized extracts out there because the components are somewhat uh, not identified. Again, we think of the entourage effect for all the components. What about Skullcap? Now, I'm really excited about Skullcap and I'm gonna be doing some blog posts about Skullcap in the next few weeks you wanna look at because I found some really interesting research about Skullcap's and um, cognitive and effects on um, memory and uh, effects on diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. The Skullcap in the West is the Lataflora. This is a mint family plant. This is a non-aromatic mint. There's also Chinese Skullcap, Scutellaria bacalensis. Um, there's a lot of research on both of these. Uh, Chinese skullcap kind of coming into the forefront now because a lot of research has been done on them. I like using them interchangeably or mixing them together is a great idea. But if you think about a uh, mint family, this is a non-aromatic mint. And so non-aromatic mints are a little different. I like to make the analogy that a non-aromatic mint is like a grumpy Labrador retriever. It's just not part of the typical thing. Mints tend to be happy, upward, exciting. They get in your senses. They get you awake. They give you an a, a organoleptic experience. This one doesn't really have a smell, but it has unique taste. And this, as a tincture or an extract, makes a very black, dark extract. And when we used to make this as tinctures, it actually turns the glass um, grayish green because of the flavonoid components. So it's loaded with flavonoids. Histor uh, hysterically, oh, <laughs> historically, it was used for hysteria. 
a nervous excitability, restlessness, wakefulness. So it's a lot like um, passion flower that, but I think of this as more building, more tonifying. So somebody that's just been under a lot of stress, you want to take it long term to get the benefits, especially as anthoanzolytic as well as the tincture. This is out of this study that I really recommend you take a look at and that I'm going to be blogging about 2018. They talk about pharmacodynamic influences on the brain. These are some of the components in Skullcap. And um, this is out of that study. They say, hey, has an antioxidant activity, has a neuro anti-inflammatory effect. It affects amyloid plaques which is, you know, affects Alzheimer's. It has an antidepressive, stimulates GABA, it decreases uh, MAO, and, and ischemia, it promotes circulation. And so neuroendocrine support, if somebody has neuroendocrine disease, this is very, very supportive, very, very safe. And so I like this um, review, so look for that. So a summary is that, you know, there's a lot of active, Sesquiterpene lactones, flavino, flavones, flavanols have an anti-anxiety effect, and it's a long history. It was used even in the past for treatment like rabies. That was a big eclectic discussion. Is it a rabies treatment? Got to remember, rabies was causing spasms and lockjaw, and uh, it's safe and gentle. And so think of it as something that's very, very helpful. What about lavender? Well, we all know about lavender as it's beautiful, relaxing, antispasmodic. The thing about lavender, it's also very good for the stomach, very calming for a nervous stomach. Um, it's also very pleasant tasting in moderation. It's a great smell, but the taste is very soapy. So the key thing about lavender when you dose it is that don't do a huge dose if you're taking it orally because uh, it can create nausea if you give too much because it's so pleasant, but in a potent version, it only needs a few drops. What I love about lavender is it's great for kids and seniors. Um, you can put it in the tincture in water, like hot tea, and then as you're drinking the tea, you're smelling the lavender. And of course, the aromatic um, components from lavender um, relax and sedate and calming. Linalool is very high in lavender. It's also high in some strains of cannabis. And this is the idea that it instantly through the limbic system relaxes people. This also is really helpful for digestive disorders. Lavender, holy basil are gonna be like the safest, easiest, you know, give it to a baby, a few drops of lavender uh, in a bath for a baby will be very relaxing, you know, lavender and chamomile. Very, very helpful. There are some studies about uh, a standardized extract of lavender oil called Silexin. And this is a study that showed that compared to placebo, they had a be better clinical outcome, improved quality of daily living. Um, the only side effect was burping, and they were probably lavender burps. And the study said it was uh, the lavender extract was efficacious for uh, anxiety and depressive disorders. So it's always great to have a traditional herb used for centuries and then substantiated by research, makes it a kind of a home run for using it. Um, here's another study for insomnia, lavender being helpful to relax and help people fall asleep. What about our California poppy, Escoltia californica? Escoltia, you may say it other ways, that's how I say it. This isn't the papaveri, so it's a poppy family plant. And so poppies have really potent alkaloids. This has long been used as a sedative and an analgesic. So California poppy has definitely antispasmodic effects, but this research study said that it can also help centrally acting pain modulation. Although it does not have morphine, it does not have addictive alkaloids. It does have um, useful alkaloids. And so this can be really helpful for mild and moderate pain, for sleeplessness, 
and anxiety. So the whole plan is collected. Um, you got to remember in some places like California, California poppy is considered the um, rare and you know, you can't just pick it, but it grows really readily. If you plant it in kind of dry open hillsides, um, a lot of the companies now use the whole plant. Although historically we would just collect the tops and flower. A lot of them dig up their roots too. And so um, here's the components. It has at least a dozen alkaloids, propapine, californine, escolcine, sanguinarine. This one's found in sanguinaria. Um, this is out of a research study. And so here's a study, if you really want to get into detail, 2015 study, which is really interesting that um, they were wanting to know why it affects calming people. And they wanted to know if it affected the alkaloids binding on the GABA receptors in the brain. But what they found is that um, it was likely that it was um, components that would, once you ingest the California poppy, your body breaks it down into secondary components. And that these secondary components in small amounts bound to the mu opioid receptors, which opioid receptors are, you know, very major in relation to blocking pain. Now, the thing that the study says is that it may have effect like um, opioid prescription medications, but it's much milder and it doesn't seem to have any issues with dependence. Um, the only question I have, and which it hasn't been um, shown to be uh, clear of this concern is the ability for this in high doses to give false drug screening. I don't know, I would caution people if they had to be drug screened for opioids, whether this plant would be worth taking before they have to do it. But this is a real detailed effect that it works centrally acting on the brain. And that's very rare for herbs to work right in the directly on the brain. Um, the last one we'll have here as we're wrapping up and is valerian. The old standby uh, uh, to mean health, valerian officinalis. So there's different uh, other species of valerian that grow in the Cascade Mountains. We think of valerian for stressfulness and anxiety related to tension. So this one's more in relation to uh, sleep. If you can't sleep and you're anxious, this is the herb to think of. And so its key clinical indications were uh, lengthened periods of sleep latency. And so that means when you lay down to bed at night, there's a period of time called the sleep latency where you're relaxing and you fall asleep. And ideally it's like 10 minutes and you should be asleep. Well, if you're laying down and it's 30 minutes or an hour, this is a key indication for valerian. And so, uh, typically, there can be spasms and cramps with it, and um, very similar um, to um, Passiflora, it can help relax you so you can fall asleep. Um, it's, it's key downturn is the taste. The taste and the smell, people say it's like dirty socks, unpleasant, it's bitter. The older it is, the stronger it is, the worse it is. It's historically... If you've ever had this in a garden, cats will find it. They love digging it up. Rats and cats love it. And so there's something about it, kind of like catnip, that gives them a kind of a high. And so the flavor for many people is challenging. It has volatile oils. It has iridoids. It has sesquiterpene lactones. These are considered to be the key components. Many people find that the fresh one works better than the dried root. So many of the companies extract it fresh. A tincture works really well, um, generally one to three dropperfuls. Valerian is one of those things, start low, go slow, and see how they do with it. Something like 10% of people taking it may have a stimulating effect from it. And they can have that idea like, oh, if you give them a dose before bed, they stay awake all night. You want to make sure that doesn't happen. And the other thing is many people need a higher dose. I've used this up to teaspoon doses, which is five mils before bed. And so generally to help relax somebody, you would give you know, up to five mils in water 
20 minutes before bed and help relax them. But, you know, start for with one to three dropperfuls and then increase it. Um, how to help the flavor. Usually these bitter things, a general uh, rule of thumb for bitter and um, unpleasant things is um, this would not be considered a great kid's herb, but a general rule of thumb is um, citrus, like a slice of orange, give the kids the medicine, then give them a slice of orange and have them chew on that. And the citrus will cut the flavors very, very quickly. Um, the older the root, the more it liberates uh, to the isovalerinic acid, which has the distinctive odor. So dried old herbs, probably not the stuff to use. Most people would not consider it to be a good tincture herb. In fact, uh, I mean, a tea herb, it could be used well as a tincture. Some people like it as a, a capsule because it hides the flavor, although it still comes out in tablets. Uh, I've had it where you can smell it through the bottle. Um, standardized extracts not commonly used. So key thing here is um, calming and sedating, antispasmodic and hypnotic, so induces sleep. So if you have a patient with pain, I've used this very successfully for menstrual cramps, uh, antispasmodic, uh, it's not sleeping well. So this is, extends more into the pain and um, poor sleeping. A lot of clinical studies. You can take a look at these. I want to get through these things. Uh, uh, Albizia is a new one. The silk tree, mimosa. You might see these. They grow around here. They're um, native to all over the world. They're used in ornamental. Um, this one is very unique in that if you touch it, the flowers collapse. You can visually see so it's affecting by touch. And the bark is the part that's used. Um, it's grown here in California. It likes a little warmer. It's in the Fabaceae pea family. It's a nitrogen fixer. It's good for the soil. It can be invasive in the part that some people use the uh, flower blossoms, um, but typically it's Chinese medicine, Albizia. So they call uh, Chinese medicine is where we get a lot of the understanding of this, at calming the spirit, invigorating the blood so that it alleviates pain. This, uh, this, this dissipates abscesses. It was used in for formulas for bone building, insomnia, emotional imbalance, excessive worry, nightmare, frights. Uh, the Persian name uh, is night sleeper because at night it closes up and it sleeps. So if you think of that as a great signature, meaning uh, in the day it's open, at night it helps you calm and relax and go to sleep. Here's a couple of the effects of the isolated alkaloids from albizia in mice that have show that it mediates the benzodiazepine GABA receptors that would be calming. And here is another study of this anti-anxiety effect affecting serotonin nervous system. So depression, anxiety, um, this has some good clinical research as well as a long historical use of Chinese medicine. They always used it in combination with other things. So let's talk about a summary here and the final, um, what are the key things? Kava Kava, this is your most potent. This would be the one you would use in the most serious stress and anxiety cases. It's fast acting and it's short acting. The concerns about the liver are somewhat overblown, although you can't ignore them. You need to screen your patient to make sure that they don't have a history of liver concerns and follow them. If you're clinically practicing as a doctor, you probably want to have liver enzyme tests on board in your labs to make sure uh, they're normal if you're going to use this longer than the uh, recommended eight weeks. California poppy, that's anxiety is especially related to pain. So spasm and pain, that's going to be um, a really good model. Um, Skullcap is gentle, safe, nerve food, rich in flavonoids brain health, mental health, long-term. Lavender, such a great organoleptic, very safe, very fast acting. You can smell it. It's anxiety, also has digestive support. Albizia, a newer old medicine, meaning it's new to the supplement industry, uh, affects moods and it probably has a strong effect on neurotransmitters. 
I don't know the taste on that one, but I would assume it's fairly unpleasant as a bark. Valerian, another unpleasant, spasmodic, but sleep, really helping to take that mental chatter and bring it down. And Passiflora, you know, the long term was weakened and broken down. So chronic illness, cancer patients, chronic fatigue patients, anybody, the students have been under long term stress. This is really helpful for anxiety and weakness. Uh, I think of it as nerve food, not as much as the skull caps, but uh, somewhere in between. So these are your herbs for stress and anxiety. Get to know these uh, six or seven herbs and you will have a really good Materia Medica to be able to help yourself. I've given you this little chart. You can see anxiety as we talked about, kava, California poppy, passion flower, skullcap, albizia, lavender, less so in valerian, but pain, California poppy, valerian, and then the nerve tonics, the skullcap really shows up gently safe. Um, and sleep, valerian, probably our strongest one on the list. Kava can be helpful for sleep, especially if it's related to anxiety and because it's so quick acting, you can take it before bed. Lavender also very quick acting because of the organoleptics of the oils. So this is a great little summary. This is my opinion, so it's not 100%, you know, but it gives you a ballpark. So I thank you here. I'm gonna turn it back over to Dr. Farshad and she's gonna talk about some very specific products. This is my contact. I look forward to having you for the next webinar on allergies in April. Thank you so much, Dr. Nagel. Um, Dr. Nagel spoke about many great single herbs today, and Wise Woman Herbals has several compound formulas with those herbs as ingredients for easy use, as well as just by themselves. So the first one we have is Liquid Serenity. Dr. Nagel, could you uh, switch this on the slide, please? Thank you. So Liquid Serenity is, it's a great blend of botanicals. Not only do you have herbs that help with mood support, like St. John's wort, but you also have herbs that help soothe temporary nervous tension and adaptogens to support a healthy stress response. So if you're looking to target multiple things um, with your stressed out patient, this is a great one to consider. This is a tincture, so it's an alcohol form, so just keep that in mind. Next slide, please. Calmerite glycerite. So this is a great gentle formula. It has more gentle yet very powerful herbs like chamomile, lemon balm, and lavender. Since it is a glycerite, um, it's safer to use with kids, so definitely consider that. Um, or if you have a patient that for, what, uh, for health reasons cannot take alcohol, this is great to consider. And one thing I love about this particular product is it has sweet orange essential oil. So it gives a really pleasant flavor, which really helps with patient compliance because as we know, nothing works if you don't take it, right? Okay, so next slide, please. Passionflower solid extract. So it supports a normal, healthy nervous system function, promotes restful sleep, and eases mild temporary tension. This is a solid extract. So it's, in, uh, it's a glycerite, um, but it's a little bit more concentrated. So you may not have to use as much. Next slide, please. And lastly, we have gentian and skullcap capsules. So gentian is uh, known as a bitter, so it helps support a uh, healthy, normal digestive process. And gen um, skullcap, as we just learned today, it supports the nervous system. Um, so as you know, stress can impact uh, healthy digestive function. So this is great if you're uh, dealing with a patient that may have some digestive issues along with their stress. Next slide, please. And uh, our special webinar promotion, all attendees today will be receiving 15% off their entire order. Make sure to let customer service know that you attended and use the promo code GN319. Um, the contact information is on the screen here. We will be sending a replay link along with um, the studies and then our contact information again in case you wanted to place an order or if you needed more information on anything. Customer service contact number is 541, oh, uh, 541, no problem, uh, 895-5172. Okay, next slide. 
And if you would like to request a certificate of completion of today's webinar, please contact me directly. Again, my name is Dr. Yasmin Farshad. I am the Practitioner Education Manager here at Wise Women Herbals. And my contact email address is the letter Y, Farshad, that's F as in Frank, A-R-S-H-A-D, at wisewomenherbals.com. And again, that information will be in the thank you email. And like Dr. Nagel said, we have another uh, educational event coming up, and you can register for that now. Saturday, April 13th, 2019 at 9 a.m., we have Botanical Support for Allergies and Upper Respiratory Health, again with Dr. Glenn Nagel. If you have not attended our practitioner forum call, it's a fantastic opportunity to have one-on-one um, -on -one time with Dr. Nagel as he goes over botanicals that support allergies and respiratory health. You also get to uh, interact with other practitioners that may be on that Zoom call. So definitely take advantage of that, especially if you have questions that you'd like answered that day. And again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, here is Dr. Glenn Nagel's contact information. If you do happen to have questions for him later, he'd be happy to answer that for you. And if you have any questions for us here at Wise Women Herbals, please feel free to contact uh, our telephone numbers here on the screen. Customer service uh, email address is wise, the letter, I'm sorry, the number one, at wisewomenherbals.com. And on behalf of Wise Women Herbals, we thank you again for joining us and we look forward to seeing you on our next webinar. All right, see you next, next month. Thanks everyone.